Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. In February of 2021, Joe Biden had been president for less than a month. The United States Senate was still in the middle of impeaching the previous president for stoking insurrection. The House impeachment managers, all of them Democrats, were making the case that even though Trump was no longer president, he had to be impeached because otherwise future presidents would be free to commit any crime or misdemeanor as long as they did so right before leaving office. To rebut that, Trump's lawyers offered this counter argument. If my colleagues on this side of the chamber actually think that President Trump committed a criminal offense, and let's understand, a high crime is a felony and a misdemeanor is a misdemeanor. The words haven't changed that much over the time. After he's out of office, you go and arrest him. So there is no opportunity where the president of the United States can run rampant in in January, the end of his term, and just go away scot-free. The Department of Justice does know what to do with such people. After he is out of office, you go out and arrest him. The Justice Department knows what to do. That's from Trump's lawyers. In other words... There was no need to impeach a president after he left office because the Justice Department would bring criminal charges against him. And that logic was apparently so convincing for Republicans that the number one Republican senator, Mitch McConnell, cited that very argument in his speech, explaining why he would vote to acquit Trump in the Senate impeachment trial. President Trump is still liable for everything he did while he was in office. Didn't get away with anything. Yet, we have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation. And former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. Trump did not need to be impeached. Congress could acquit Trump in the Senate because the criminal justice system would take care of all of it later. That was the logic Trump's lawyers and Senate Republicans relied on. Today, Donald Trump's lawyers went before the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals to argue the exact opposite. They argued that Trump cannot be prosecuted for anything he did as president and that the only way to prosecute a president for crimes committed during his presidency is impeachment. I understand your position to be that a president is immune from criminal prosecution for any official act that he takes as president even if that action is taken for an unlawful or unconstitutional purpose. Is that correct? With an, ex- with an important exception, which is that if the president is impeached and convicted by the United States Senate in a, you know, proceeding that reflects, you know, widespread political consensus. You see, it's a shell game. Congress impeaches Trump for trying to overturn an election and his lawyers say, no, 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 no. This is a job for the criminal justice system. The criminal justice system charges Trump and his lawyers say, no, sorry, this is a job for Congress and the impeachment process. 
At one point, Judge Florence Pan tested that theory with a hypothetical for the history books. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached, would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. So so your answer is is, no. My answer is qualified. Yes, there is a political process that would have to occur under the structure of our Constitution, which would require impeachment and conviction by the Senate. Trump's lawyer actually argued in court today that Trump could send SEAL Team 6 to kill a political opponent and absent an official impeachment and conviction, there is nothing the U.S. criminal justice system could do about any of it. It is a shocking position to take, especially when you consider the number of times Trump has toyed with the idea of killing his political rivals, accusing General Mark Milley of treason, punishable by death. Encouraging a mob as it rallied to hang Vice President Mike Pence, announcing that he could shoot someone, anyone, on Fifth Avenue. So, history happening here in this courtroom. Maybe some prognostication, too. Now, President Trump was in the courtroom today, just feet away from special counsel Jack Smith. Trump was surrounded by his lawyers and by his body man, Walt Nauda, who is of course, Trump's co-defendant in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. By all accounts, the judges here appeared more receptive to the prosecution's arguments, but Trump and his lawyers may not really have been there to convince the judges anyway. For them, the point may have been the hearing itself, delaying Trump's criminal trial, even if it meant explaining the hypothetical immunity and sending commandos to assassinate your political rivals. Joining me now is former U.S. attorney and senior FBI official Chuck Rosenberg. Also with me is former senior advisor to President Obama and co-host of Pod Save America, Dan Pfeiffer. Gentlemen, thank you for being here. Um, Chuck, I was astounded and not in a good way by what was said by Trump's legal team today in courtroom. Was there anything that they said that struck you as particularly meritous? No. (laughs) Full stop. But I wasn't astounded because they were very clear about what they were going to do. In an appellate case, both sides file briefs. The judges read the briefs, the judges' clerks read the briefs, and nerds like me read the briefs. And so the things that the Trump team argued today were all in their brief. I think they made a strategic and legal mistake, Alex, by taking that absolutist position that you just described. Yeah. Um, So, no, I wasn't really surprised today. I think that's the corner that they painted themselves into. Uh, Dan, are you winning when you are are arguing that um, the president can order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate your political rivals and there's no necessary punishment for that? I recognize we're living in the political upside down these days, but you're definitely not winning if you're sitting at the defendant's table during a felony criminal trial to try to violently overturn the country. True, true. Um, But I do, I mean, I, I, I think... And I know I'm loath to say this because we're talking about Donald Trump, Dan. It feels like the the articulation of a strategy of ultimate and total impunity, even in a situation where commandos are assassinating rivals, feels like the crossing of a certain Rubicon, even for Team Trump. Do you think I mean, do you think it's resonant, this this scenario that's been outlined, especially given the president's past history on statements relating to assassination? Well, I mean, we should stipulate that most people are not going to follow what's happening in this court case. Most people haven't tuned into this election yet. But what I think is happening is Donald Trump, ironically enough, rose to power in 2016 by dominating attention. 
And he resurrected his political career by being absent from attention. Most of the public has not seen or thought about Donald Trump. And by sitting at the defendant table, by having these high profile hearings, by the speech President Biden gave, he is reminding people why they were so uncomfortable with his temperament, his corruption, his authoritarian leanings in 2020. And so he is, it's not there's the specifics of this, it's that Donald Trump is returning to center stage and highlighting some of his greatest vulnerabilities at this moment in time when people are starting to wake up and pay attention. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Chuck, there's the the sort of legal aspect of all of this beyond the actual question of presidential immunity. There is the potential, the litigation of all of this has the potential to significantly delay this case, which is seemingly Trump's ultimate end goal here. Can you talk a little bit more about how meaningful that delay might be? Sure. So this trial right now is scheduled for March 4th. Yeah. And I think that date, Alex, is endangered, perhaps not doomed, but certainly endangered. Every defendant benefits by delay. Yeah. And Mr. Trump has opened to him some avenues to try and incur even more delay. It's not clear to me that the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals is going to take a long time to decide this case. I think it's relatively easy and in the government's favor. But then Mr. Trump could ask for a full panel hearing the entire D.C. Circuit to hear it on banc. If he loses there, he could ask the Supreme Court. And there's no guarantee that the Supreme Court will hear it either. But you can ask. And so the more that Mr. Trump does these things, the more that he stretches out the timeline, it puts the government at a disadvantage. I still think this case can be tried before the election. I'm not convinced it will start on March 4th. I think it's a remote possibility, but I think they can get it done. With the, the, I want to bring, um, for, for folks who have not followed closely the, the hearing that unfolded today, Judge Karen Henderson, one of the three appeals court judges, uh, had this to say about... the tangentially the scope of presidential duties. Let's just take a listen to what she had to say. I think it's paradoxical to say that his constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed allows him to violate criminal laws. What she's getting at here is is basically the scope of what is official duties for the president. It feels like that's actually a question that could beyond the immunity question could be sent to another court to decide and and delay this in in an even more meaningful way than just the back and forth between the on bank hearing at the appellate court and the Supreme Court. And by the way, if Mr. Trump's lawyers had not taken an absolutist position, This is the logical argument for them. They could have said, sure, there might be a circumstance under which a president or former president could be prosecuted criminally. But this one ain't it. All they had to do was argue that what he is charged with in the underlying indictment was an official act. And then it's not an enormous leap to claim immunity for official acts. But they didn't do that. To your earlier point, they staked out this absolutist position, painted themselves in the corner. And of course, Judge Henderson or another one of the judges was going to ask precisely that question, because that's the fallacy. That's the weakness in their argument. Um, Dan, I, I, we, we started this segment off playing some uh, sound from uh, Republican Mitch McConnell, who took a decidedly different tack than um, the, the Trump team is taking today, which is to say, The Justice Department should sort it all out. He does not want to answer questions about that today, as Team Trump is taking um, the opposite of Mitch McConnell's position. Do you think Senate Republicans are in a different place when it comes to the questions 
about Trump's liabilities here? I mean, do they get the same, for lack of a better term, hall pass that Trump gets among Republican voters? No, I, I think ultimately it's it's interesting that you paid, played that footage of Mitch McConnell because Mitch McConnell is the person probably most responsible in the Republican Party for the fact that Donald Trump is still this dominant figure because, as we all remember, he floated the idea that he would vote to convict and then at the last minute kind of made up this cockamamie excuse to avoid doing it because he thought he would take some heat from the base. And I think he probably thought Donald Trump would just disappear, a mistake that no one in the Republican Party has made to date. So, But I think that Republic, Republic, House Republicans mostly really firmly behind Trump, very, you know, there's a there's a growing number of very pro-Trump Senate Republicans, but most of them just sort of tolerate him. They need him to win. They need his money. And they're just going to just kind of abide by this for NBC and stay silent for as much as humanly possible. I'm sure for the MSNBC Capitol Hill reporters, if they were to grab these people, they would the Senate Republican senators, they would say, I didn't hear that. You know, they would refuse to comment on it to avoid talking about it because it's it, it's in their interest to keep Trump around. They just don't have to like it. Do you think that this I mean, Trump has made hay of all of these trials because he thinks it's good fundraising and he thinks it's good for burnishing his profile. That's, of course, a double edged sword, as you pointed out in your first answer here. But he, he's fundraising off of this. And I wonder whether you think that the continuation of these trials and we're in the sort of like pretrial motions part of it. We haven't actually gotten to the trial, but nonetheless, there is action happening. There is the threat of using Navy SEAL commandos to assassinate political rivals. Do you think Trump keeps fundraising off of it or do you you think I mean, I, I, when you think of the base, can he continue to stoke outrage over the sort of incremental process of being held criminally liable? Absolutely. He will fundraise on this. The the jail cell will be slammed with him behind it just as he will send out the final fundraising email on this. So that is definitely going to happen. I think the he, the base will stay engaged. This is obviously helps them in a Republican primary. When you look at the polling in this primary, the point where Trump passes DeSantis and dominates the field comes right after that first indictment in March of 2023. The, the real question now is this primary could be over in a month to six weeks is does this help him in a general election? And we have yet we're really in uncharted territories. What is the electorate going to think? When they turn on their TV in the summer, you know, three or four months before the election, and they see the former president of the United States, the Republican nominee, sitting at that defendant's table, uh, here having these having these charges read against them, having these witnesses testify against them. When you have Republican witnesses like White House Counsel Pat Scipione testifying against them, what is that going to do? That's a, that's a huge moment. It's going to have real impact in this campaign. Uh- Chuck, as you talk, as Dan talks about sort of outlining the, the, the total eclipse of the sun that this could be in a presidential campaign, as you sit here now, and I'm not asking you to make predictions, but what's a thoughtful assessment about, you know, if not March, do you, I mean, given where, how the appellate court's been moving, what the Supreme Court, the X factor here might do, I mean, do you think it's likely that summer is a, a time for trials? So let me ask you a question. How yes. many ifs can I use? As many as you want. In, 200. In okay. I may need it. Uh, if the circuit court uh, uh, decides, as we expect, yeah. that they will against Mr. Trump and for the government, that he doesn't have immunity. Um, if the entire D.C. circuit doesn't take the case on bonk, if the Supreme Court doesn't grant a cert petition to hear it now. Yeah. I think you can try this case in the summer. Remember, this is... That's a lot of things going in special counsel's direction. 
a number of things have to break his way. But remember, Alex, this is in many ways the simplest case. I don't mean to suggest that any case is easy. It's a one defendant case. Only Mr. Trump is charged. There are only four charges. Um, so in terms of getting this thing to trial, you're not dealing with classified information as you are in the Mar-a-Lago case. You don't have 397 defendants as you do in the Fulton County case. This is an easier case to get to trial. No case is easy to win because the government has to meet a very high burden and to a unanimous jury. But if things break in the right way for the special counsel, yes, you can try this case before the election. History being made every hour, every day, every week, every month. Chuck Rosenberg, Dan Pfeiffer, thank you guys both for your time tonight. Really appreciate it. Coming up, as Trump tries to delay his January 6th trial until after the election, there is new reporting that multiple members of Trump's inner circle have been talking to special counsel Jack Smith. You'll have the latest damning revelations about what exactly President Trump was doing and saying on the day of that attack. That is next. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Here is something to consider. If Donald Trump does indeed go to trial for trying to steal the 2020 election, special counsel Jack Smith will have stunning new testimony to use against him. According to ABC News, Dan Scavino, who served as Trump's deputy chief of staff for communications, told Smith's team that as the violence began to escalate on January 6th, Trump was just not interested in doing more to stop it. Former Trump aide Nick Luna also told federal investigators that when Trump was informed that then-Vice President Mike Pence had to be rushed to a secure location, Trump responded, so what? ABC News also reports that after unsuccessfully trying for up to 20 minutes to persuade Trump to release some sort of de-escalating statement that day, Scavino and other aides just left the president alone to watch the violence unfold on television. That is when, according to sources, Trump posted a message on his Twitter account saying that Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. Scavino, the only other person with access to Trump's Twitter account, told both Jack Smith and White House lawyers at the time, quote, I didn't do it, meaning one of the most incendiary, controversial messages of January 6th was all Donald Trump. Joining me now is Michael Schmidt, investigative reporter for The New York Times and author of Donald Trump versus the United States Inside the Struggle 
to stop a president. Michael Schmidt, it is great to see you. I found this reporting stunning, not just because of what was reported, but the, the sources themselves. First, let's talk about um, Dan Scavino. This is a person that I think has been with Trump since he was a teenager. What do you make of the fact that he is talking and being apparently quite open with the special process, a special counsel's team? So Scavino tried really hard not to talk. He wouldn't cooperate with the January 6th committee. He was held in contempt. The Justice Department declined to charge him in connection with that. When the special counsel came calling, he again tried to not answer their questions and was ultimately compelled by a judge to do so. So a bit under duress, he went before a grand jury and, you know, from Scavino's side, answered factual questions about what happened that day. If you're him, you're trying to strike this very odd balance between cooperating in a federal investigation where you can't lie and remaining as Donald Trump's, you know, tweeter, tweeter assistant. And apparently he's trying to do that. He is still in Trump's orbit at the same time that we're learning about this testimony, which uh, is is new and different. We know we've known the basics of the story of what happens on January 6th in the West Wing and Trump. But when you read it and you see in this story what happens sort of through Scavino's eyes and Scavino is the person who's trying to get Trump to to stop this violence, Scavino, where Scavino is is being portrayed as as trying to to, you know, end it. Yeah. It's 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 pretty striking, even even on a story that we sort of already knew. Yeah, and very much not an enabler in the eyes of Scavino, but someone who's saying this is not good and not a good look for you, Mr. President. Um, so when ABC News approaches the Trump camp, a Trump spokesperson says in response to this reporting, Dan Scavino is one of President Trump's longest serving, most loyal aides. And his actual testimony shows just how strong President Trump is positioned in this case. Okay, I'm very interested in this sort of tenor of this statement, because I wonder if you think the audience is people reading the ABC News article or Dan Scavino. Is this a kind of like, Dan, you would never betray me kind of statement? I mean, how, how do you understand I mean, as that? I've seen sort of different statements that have come out that Trump has put out since since leaving office and still when he was in office. They really just sort of have nothing to do with the underlying issue. Like that quote doesn't really speak to anything in the story. If you read the story and you read what Dan Scavino said, regardless of what the law is and, and what the um, the evidence may be, it's just not a pretty portrait of yeah. what goes on. It's actually pretty ugly. And, you know, if you were an, a juror and you heard this account from someone who is so close to Trump, who's not really adverse to Trump. So it, it's not like you're bringing in someone who Trump has broken with, like, let's say, Bill Barr or John Kelly. This is someone who's still in Trump's orbit, like, you know, a, as we see in that statement. So it would be interesting to me to see at a trial. Well, what would what would the jury see if Dan Scavino was the one who was saying, yes, Donald Trump wouldn't respond to stop this violence and, and this account were to come out of his mouth. Now, do they call him at trial? Do you take someone who is such a Trump loyalist and put them? Yes. On I mean, <laughs> Don't but, you? But, but you could also end up with Dan Scavino going on and on about, you know, what a witch hunt this is sure. or whatever. I mean, you're really rolling the dice in a way that you're not with a less contentious witness. It, look, Dan Scavino has been contentious here. He tried to get out of having to give this testimony. What? Well, 
Michael Schmidt, why are we hearing about this? Like, why? What is who stands to gain from leaking this reporting about what Dan Scavino has said to special prosecutors? I, I, I always hate that question because okay. as a reporter, like, it's like the no- notion that we're sitting around and like the phone rings and like, here's the leak. I mean, the reason that stories like this come out is because. It's a very big story. A lot of reporters are talking to a lot of different people. We don't know everything that's going on. We don't have full access to everything that happens before the grand jury. And little by little, media institution by media institution, we learn different things. We put them out there and we get a bigger sense of this. This is a, an, an incredibly intriguing story. It would be the definitive story about any other presidency. Yeah. Because of the January 6th committee and the work that they did, it sort of is adding on to something that has already been created. Um you know, at, at the same time, it takes all these different stories for us to get the portrait that we have today. You know, however many years we are into the Trump story, it's because of stories here, there and such. And reporters that are out there just trying as hard as they can to, to learn to whatever's tell, out to, there. To braid the strands yeah. together. St- stunning to me that Dan Scavino and even Evan Corcoran, some aides who have a lawyer who have offered some of the most damning details about what Trump has been doing in these federal cases remain in his orbit. Well, but the thing is, is that when we get to someone like Scavino, who was right around Trump and who's still a Trump loyalist, his account had basically lines up with what the January 6th committee said. Yes. The, well, there's apparently still more to come. Michael Schmidt. New York Times, my friend, thank you. Great to see you. Thanks for your time. Still to come this evening, heading into the first actual contest of the 2024 Republican presidential campaign, there is a heated race for the most embarrassing performance. Plus, Donald Trump returns to a well-worn page in his campaign playbook, birtherism. That is coming up. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Well, sometimes if you build it, they don't come. <laughs> yeah, I really, I don't think we're going to get it. I don't think there are any buses, you guys. That was Minnesota Congressman and longshot Democratic presidential candidate Dean Phillips today, after literally zero voters showed up to his event in New Hampshire. The people you see drinking coffee around Mr. Phillips here are his own staffers. Over in Iowa, where a winter storm has blanketed the state in deep snow and where we are now less than a week away from the Iowa caucuses, the Republican Party's long-shot candidates are also getting iced out. The other campaigns are canceling events today, not us. We have 
multiple events planned across Northwest Iowa. We're keeping them intact. If you can't handle the snow, they can't handle Xi Jinping. That's what I would say. Hours after posting that video, the long-shot Republican candidate Vivek Ramaswamy posted these photos explaining that he himself got stuck in the snow. It took six people to get his car unstuck. And then this morning, Mr. Ramaswamy posted one of his campaign, postponed one of his campaign events because of the snow. It appears he cannot handle the snow either. But the long shot candidate who takes the cake for the most embarrassing last 24 hours is Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson. Now, if you forgot that Asa Hutchinson was still in the Republican primary, you are not alone. Even Asa Hutchinson's supporters forgot. In an interview with The Washington Post, Governor Hutchinson said that while canvassing earlier today, he knocked on the door of someone who said they loved him. This person then asked Hutchinson, who are you going to support? To which Hutchinson replied, I'm still running. Just brutal. But, you know, points for honesty. In the words of Dean Phillips, sometimes if you build it, they don't come. Now, tomorrow night is the next Republican primary debate. Only Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump have polled well enough to qualify for that debate. But yet again, Trump is not actually attending the debate. Instead, he is running his own counter-programming on Fox at the very same time. So my question here is, even though they are not the longest of long shots in this race, are Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis also basically iced out at this point? They have both built a sizable presence in the Iowa battleground. But next Monday, will anyone show up for them? I'm going to talk to the amazing hosts of MSNBC's new show, The Weekend, about that and so much more coming up next. In Iowa, it looks like it is Donald Trump's race to lose. But in New Hampshire, the Republican primary could be a lot closer. Maybe. Depending on which poll you look at, Trump is running either seven points ahead of Nikki Haley or 20. So the most reliable indicator about whether Trump is worried about Haley, the window into the campaign's soul, if such a thing even exists, is Truth Social, where Trump posted this week a link to a right-wing website that argues Nikki Haley is ineligible to become president because her parents were not U.S. citizens when she was born in South Carolina. You can call it rebirtherism. Joining me now are my colleagues Michael Steele, Simone Sanders-Townsend, and Alicia Menendez, all hosts of the brand spanking new MSNBC show, <laughs> The Weekend, premiering this Saturday at 8 a.m. I'm thrilled. Spanking and It hasn't been yes. spanking new. Just a little spice to like lead into your weekend. Guys, I'm so happy to have you here because there's so much to discuss, and yet, in a way, so little as well. Um, Alicia, first off, mm-hmm. the birtherism thing, mm-hmm. that old chestnut. Trump trotting it out against Nikki Haley. And my, my, the question I pose to you is, you know, Nikki Haley's immigrant background has not been explored as fully as perhaps Donald Trump would like it to be in a mm-hmm. Republican primary. And I wonder if you think that toxic line of attack can be a successful one given the current climate. In the I, don't, I don't know if it can be successful. I, I am curious about why it is he is choosing to launch it, aside from the fact that it is, of course, his favorite attack. There is no person in the United States who should at this moment be more familiar with the 14th Amendment than Donald Trump, given that it is currently being used to potentially make him ineligible for the presidency, given that he partook in an insurrection. Um, 
But this is what he does. We saw him do it not only with Barack Obama. We also saw, remember, 2016, he tried to go after Ted, Ted Cruz, Cruz the same line of attack. So given his familiarity with the 14th Amendment, he should know the fact that Nikki Haley was, in fact, born in the United States. I mean, she is automatically a citizen. Doesn't mean that he's afraid. Doesn't mean that his ego is bruised by the fact mm-hmm. that she's rising up. Because they are still both, both she and DeSantis, so far behind him Mm. in the polls that beyond his sort of blatant xenophobia, his hatefulness, Mm. his laziness to go back to this attack, I don't really understand the rationale. Uh, i got a possible rationale for it. Um, Internal polling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the internal polling. What What their internal polling is probably showing him in New Hampshire is that that seven point lead is probably more accurate than the 20-point lead. So he needs to create a little distance, um, particularly if they wind up for Iowa and swing into New Hampshire. He wants some momentum for him, a little bit of drag for her. The internal polling is always the tell when you see candidates start to do and react and respond a certain way to their opponents, particularly when they have a lead and they, you know, they got, I'm the, I'm the it, right? Yeah. I, I've got mm-hmm. it all, but wait a minute, hold up. You, you're doing what? Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're going to split out a little attack on you. So I bet you more than anything, that's what's And then by the way, not just any, I mean, I am reminded of, of Barack Obama, right? Mm-hmm. The, his most infamous birther attempt. And the fact that it went from Barack Obama to Barack Hussein Obama. Yeah. And I feel like it is a matter of time. Like, time your watches to the moment what when... What he calls her Nimrata? Exactly. No, honestly. <laughs> no, I mean, I feel like right. that's the next tell. And... I think it's the in the double indignation that he's being challenged potentially, but by a person of color, the daughter of immigrants, a woman. I mean, that adds to the venom, I think. Yeah. I think it adds to the venom, but I will also note, you know, Nikki Haley has not necessarily leaned into her heritage right. in yes. this primary so campaign. Like, you, you know, she's Nikki, not Nimrata on the campaign trail. I haven't seen a lot of brown folks standing behind her talking about how she's a child of immigrants and what that means and what she brings True. to the Republican primary. Right. But I do think it is, I think a little bit it is it is the internal polling it's he's scared but the question i always have is when candidates decide to attack another candidate because they do have indicators that this person is a threat uh, they also usually have indicators on what is a a viable attack. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. don't actually yeah. think in Iowa and New Hampshire, mm-hmm. the, ooh, she's a scary brown lady, because that's what he's saying. Yeah. He's saying that she's a, she, she is, he is attempting to other her in an attempt to say that this is, she is not one of us, i.e. she is not a white woman. And this is not this is one of the brown immigrants I'm talking about that's coming in here trying to take things away from you. That's what Donald Trump is saying. I don't actually know if that is effective in Iowa and New Hampshire. Yeah. But it's a double it's a double play, too. It's also like, as you point out, the birthright citizenship, which he doesn't like either. Mm -hmm. And gets. by the way, if you are born in the United States, you are an American citizen. Unless Donald Trump gets his way. Well, true, true. I I have to like dredging up the ugly specter of birtherism. Mm -hmm. To me, it's so abhorrent. It's such a reminder of all the reasons why people of color in particular should should be horrified by the candidacy of Donald Trump. And yet I bring this up to all of you guys. The reality is that voters of color are increasingly either in undecided about President Biden and looking for a third party candidate or attracted to the candidacy of Donald Trump. 
Do you have a working theory about how, on one hand, this man can be doing things that alienate the Latino community, the Asian community, and the black community, and seeing gains among all those folks? Uh, yeah, uh, because he appeal, appeals to sort of a purient interest politically that they have uh, about things that are important to them. He becomes an avatar, a manifestation of their particular interests or desires or how they feel about others in, in the country. If you notice in the particularly um, along the border, Hispanics along the border uh, sound no differently than some white folks from Iowa when it comes to how they look at immigrants and migrants coming across the border. So once he understands that and is able to unpack it and knows that that's a little bit of your thing. He's going to lean into it. He's going to exploit it. He's going to expose it. And more importantly, he's going to expand its influence and reach among others in the community. So when you see someone else like you saying and acting a certain way on this issue, guess what? Now you have permission to do Mm. the same. Donald Trump is all about giving you permission to go to the lowest common denominator amongst the interest at hand. And that's what he does. And at the same time, voters of color are the backbone of the Democratic Party. As we all know, Democrats have not won the white vote since LBJ. If it were not for voters of color, there would be no Democratic Party as we know it. So that is why they're concerned and why they should be concerned when they see erosion, because even the slightest bit of erosion in some of these key states will make a difference. That said, I think part of what we're also beginning to understand is that we've oversimplified these electorates, right? Latinos, AAPI voters... They have never been as baked in their partisanship as some operatives would have wanted them to be. And so, yes, they are mistrustful of Republicans, but they also want leaders who are going to deliver for them. And that's going to be part of the task for Democrats in the next 10 months is delivering that message. Yeah, that's why you have to treat. I think Democrats must treat black and brown voters, um, API voters, especially uh, black and Latino men as persuadable voters. All of the energy and messages you put into independent voters, suburban women who are increasingly more diverse, by the way, mm-hmm. suburban and the oldest millennials. Suburbs are increasingly the suburbs are yeah. young, young women at this point. OK, hello. My senior producer, Brittany, is one of them. Those senior are, producer, Brittany, is a persuadable voter. Persuadable young suburban mommy. OK, and she's black. So. Again, it goes against the myth that who we think about when we put people in these boxes. But I also I just I don't believe that a large swath of black and brown voters are going out there casting their ballot for Donald Trump. I think it's more likely that they don't vote at all. Right. Well, that it, it's third party interest. So like, curious. And also, Donald Donald Trump. Trump. I would, I would well, say, Simone, on, it's also Chairman. you point this out. It's not looking at AAPI voters as monoliths as a monolith or Latino voters and black and black voters, especially their generational divide is so, so real. And the Biden campaign, I think we have news that they are, I mean, the, sorry, it's a DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, has announced an eight-figure investment in, to mobilize Asian, Black, and Latino voters. Are you, are you, is that a laugh of like overdue, good luck with, good or, luck with that? That's or a $5 that? crumpled bill in my pocket. There you go. It's a laugh of like, yes, this is what we should be doing. And kudos to the DCCC for doing that. I will say, though, these record investments in communities of color this early in the cycle should be applauded. It's not yeah. something, you know, Mr. Chairman, oh, yeah. usually people say they don't got this kind of money for black and brown folks this early. I can tell you the fights I had inside the RNC for that money. But they need to knock doors. They need to be in communities. You know, ads are not going to move a voter
voter that, you know, is is frankly over overly persuaded by the disinformation they might see on a social media site. They it's peer to peer. And they're doing doors. that with Kamala, uh, for example. She's been out about oh, yes, a lot more, president. which yes. is the vice president, which has been really good. I think they should get Uncle Joe out a little bit more. Not President Joe Biden, mm. but Uncle Joe Biden. Aviator Joe. Aviator Joe. Because people <laughs> resonate to that. Dark they Brandon. Connect, they, they, dark Brandon, baby, all day long. Neighborhood after neighborhood, I think, has a lot more viability among the voters you're Mm -hmm. talking about than President Joe Biden. All right. Well, listen, something tells me you guys are going to be talking about this a little bit more in the future for the next couple forevers. Um, (laughs) Michael Steele, Simone Sanders Townsend, Alicia Menendez. They never allow us in the same room at the same time. I didn't even believe we were in the same time. It's finally happened. Tune in this Saturday. The teleprompter is moving all around. Tune in this Saturday at 8 a.m. for the premiere of the weekend. I didn't need the teleprompter because it's set on my TiVo. That's right. I said TiVo right here on MSNBC. Thank you, my people. Thank you, Alex. It's great to see you. you. Uh, Coming up, Joe Biden adopted many of the policies of the progressive left, and now he has a booming economy to show for it. But can he succeed in convincing a majority of Americans to believe it and him? Josh Green joins me to discuss his new book, The Rebels. That's next. We have an economy that's incredible. We have an economy that's so fragile and When there's a crash, I hope it's going to be during this next 12 months, because I don't want to be Herbert Hoover. Uh, Setting aside what would normally be a career ending statement for a presidential candidate, the other notable thing in that piece of sound is Trump's assertion that the U.S. economy is terrible because Democrats. Trump likes to do that a lot, and he has been doing it for a while. In 2020, it was all about Joe Biden and the policies of the left that would unleash an economic disaster of epic proportions. The irony is that the progressive policies championed by Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez were indeed adopted by President Biden. And what emerged was not another Great Depression, but record unemployment, the best jobs market since the 1960s, the lowest uninsured rate in American history— a manufacturing boom, decreasing gas prices, and rising wages. Joining us now is Josh Green, national correspondent at Bloomberg and author of the new book out today titled The Rebels, which chronicles how left-wing economic populism and people like Warren Sanders and AOC have played a fateful role and will continue to in the upcoming presidential election. Okay, I want to hear it from the man who has been on the ground in steel towns in Pennsylvania, how the, the very voters that Joe Biden needs to make sure are in his corner, how they understand this economy. Well, I, th- I think the answer is in my travels. They don't quite yet. But, you know, the, the, the story of the book really is how these three characters gave rise to this brand of left wing populism uh, that really hadn't existed uh, in the recent Democratic Party. It took the financial crisis of 2008 and the huge backlash that gave us Donald Trump for Democrats to kind of wake up and say, you know, I think we need a more populist brand of politics. And so even though, uh, you know, neither Warren or Sanders wound up in the White House, they've really had a profound effect on Biden's administration. So I was in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania a week ago. There's a new steel plant going up. Unemployment is coming down. So economically, things are turning in the right direction. The challenge for Biden is getting that to translate into positive numbers. I just don't understand how when you have architects of so much of uh, the current economic policy, progressive Democrats, self-described populists, why does the Democratic Party not get credited with a more populist approach? What is what is the disconnect? 
you know, I think part of it is that a lot of the fights in politics today are about culture, not economics. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, it's the kitchen table concerns. It's the state of the economy. I, I work at Business Week, so I'm sort of flooded with economic numbers all day long. They all kind of point to this idea that it's about to be morning in America again. All the numbers in the intro show things are turning in the right direction. I think a lot of times there's a delay effect. But if you're Joe Biden, if you're an incumbent running for re-election, this is the economy you want to be running on. Is it is how much are we missing the sort of the point that needs to be hammered home again and again when we talk about the economy? Should there be more focus on like the pr- price of eggs, which is something Chris Hayes, my friend and colleague, loves to talk about? I mean, what is the metric that is the sort of convincing metric about the health of this economy? I'm not sure there is one. I mean, to me, it comes down to sort of jobs and then to a broader question about how is my family doing? How What do my kids' prospects look like? And if those things are turning around, and that's really been what Warren and Sanders and AOC have kind of hammered away on over the last few years. And we've seen it translate into the Biden presidency. Uh, I think when people go into the voting booth, especially when Trump is the guy on the other side of the ticket, that's really going to be what they're thinking about. And, you know, if you're if you're Joe Biden, you hope that's enough for them to pull the lever for you. Biden has been talking a lot about democracy, institutional integrity, the, you know, the, the sacrosanct nature of the Constitution. Does that matter to these voters? You know, I think on some level it does. But look, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to be able to pay your mortgage. You know, you want to you want to put your kid through college. You know, you want to have a secure retirement. So it was important, obviously, as things like democracy, you know, and Trump's authoritarianism are. You also have to focus on these kind of kitchen table concerns. And, and the irony is that Biden really does have a good story to tell, you know, not just to the progressive left, uh, you know, whose policies he's enshrined. But really to Americans generally who are worried about these kinds of issues. Listen, it is an important read. It's a it's a it's a book that everyone needs to read as we talk about all the other threats to democracy. <laughs> yes, yes, like yes. Th- this is sort of the thing that matters. You can't decide. miss it. It's very yellow. It's, very, we it's an arresting about. yellow. Josh Green, congratulations on publication day, my friend. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you for the book. That is our show for tonight. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.